All right. Well, I am honored to be here tonight. Um, some of you might recognize me. I do sit about over here um, on Wednesday and Saturday nights. Uh, it's just a blessing to be here and share with you. Tonight we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. So if you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, it's a familiar um, portion of Scripture for us. It's Gideon, um, the life and study of Gideon. So. I do also just want to say thank you for not running out the moment that he had the cardboard <laughs> Eric up here and he said that Eric's not here. Um, I just thank you for being patient and, and coming in tonight. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 6. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you uh, for tonight. Lord, we thank you for a place that we can gather together as your people. Lord, in your name, Lord, sing of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love for us. Lord, tonight we have come to meet with you, to hear from you. Lord, be it through a donkey. Lord, be it through whatever means. Lord, we want to hear your voice tonight. Lord, in the stillness and in the quiet, Lord, we want to hear from you. We thank you for the accounts of men and women uh, in the scriptures that you used and you used greatly. Lord, to bring deliverance to your people, to change a nation. Lord, maybe just change your family. Lord, tonight we ask again that you would move in our hearts. Lord, that you would change us. Lord, that we'd be different when we leave this place than when we came in. Lord, use your word tonight, we pray. Move by your spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So who likes to fly? Let's just see a uh, uh, show of hands. Does anybody like to fly? Yeah, I, I like to fly. How about, is there anybody who doesn't like to fly? Yeah, I, I figured there'd be a few. Are there some of you who like to fly with those who don't like to fly? <laughs> I totally love it. Um, I really do. I don't know. I'm just one of those people who gets joy out of other people's misery when it comes to an airplane. <laughs> Um, if it wasn't completely out of place, I would probably raise my hands in the turbulent times whenever they're gripping, white-knuckling the seats. Um, I don't know. I just, I just really enjoy that part of it. That's, that's what I like about flying is the bumpy uh, parts of it. Tonight, we're going to be flying through the scriptures. Um, we really are. Um, through Judges chapter 6, it is 40 verses um, when I began to prepare my study, I thought, hey, I'm going to throw chapter 7 in there as well. And that would be like 60-some verses. And I sat down, and I started working. Like, I'm never going to get to chapter 7. Um, it's going to be all we can do to get through chapter 6. But again, we're going to fly. And I, I mean that in a couple of ways. I think Pastor Eric does a great job of just walking us through the scriptures. And it's verse by verse. And it's, we go very slow and we look very deep into it tonight. We don't have time for that. <laughs> if we're going to look at the life of Gideon, we're going to take an aerial view and we're going to look down and we're just going to catch a glimpse at times. And then again, if you've ever been on an airplane and you like it and you look out the window, it's like, oh man, what a view that is. We're going to get a little bit closer and we're going to say that is an amazing view. Amen. So, as we get started, all I have to say is prepare for takeoff. Uh, put your seat backs up, your tray tables, lock them into position, fasten your seat belts, because here we go. Judges. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord." 
Verse 1 again says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the history of the book of Judges. It hasn't been too long since a Rocky Mountain has gone through um, the book of Judges. It's a recent and familiar study for us. But all the way, starting in chapter, chapters 1 and 2 and going through to the very last verse, chapter 21, verse 25, we read of this up and down and this doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges chapter 2, verse 11 says this, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And then the last verse of the book says this, again, 21, 25, In those days there was no king in Israel. Listen, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So as we start this chapter, chapter 6, it's the same old thing for the nation of Israel. And verse 2 again says, Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. It's because of their sin, because they did evil in the sight of the Lord, that God had brought the Midianites against them. And the children of Israel, what does it say they were doing? They were hiding in the dens and caves and the strongholds which were in the mountains. Is this where God wanted his people, really? Not at all. It's not at all where God wanted his people, is hiding. If you remember, the book of Judges comes directly after the book of Joshua. What's the the book of Joshua all about? What's it a picture for you and I of? the victorious Christian life. And that's where Joshua says, choose who you will serve this day. Choose whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That was the leader they had in the book of Joshua. Remember, Joshua took them in and they conquered nations and lands and they wiped out the inhabitants. It's a picture for you and I of pressing in and moving into where God would have us to be. It's an account of God's desire for his people to inhabit the land of promise and to live confidently and victoriously in that promise. It's the same promise we have today. The same desire that God has for us today is to live confidently and victoriously in his promise. Unfortunately, we read that it didn't take much time for the children of Israel to come to this place Again, it was chapter 2 that I read for you, 2, verse 11. But let me read to you what, what it says in the verses before that. Chapter 2, verses 7 to 10, we read, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all the generations had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. That's amazing. One generation after Joshua and those who were with him fall back and turn away from the Lord. One generation. Have you ever thought of that truth, that absolute certainty, that we are but one generation from turning completely away from the Lord? That it it requires you and I to take action, to tell the next generation of the things of the Lord. What did it say there? that that generation that followed, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, listen, nor the work which he had done for Israel. What does that tell us? They never told that next generation the great works of the Lord. They had a responsibility. The title of our message tonight is, Can God Use Me? Can God Use Me? One generation after Joshua, and they turn from God and they serve the Baals. And we read that it was because of this, because of their sin, that the Midianites come and they oppress them. And then verse 5 told us that they came in as numerous as locusts, and they would enter the land to destroy it. 
And this is a very sad, a sad state for the children of Israel, isn't it? I mean, if you're familiar at all with the book of Joshua, God did some amazing things with his people. An entire nation of people in there, inhabitants, all of the mosquito bites and all of them that were in the, the promised land, God has extinguished them from the land. He, he gave it to the, his people. And now they're in the promised land and they're weak. They're so far from where God would have them to be. And the Midianites, the Amalekites are in as numerous as locusts. This could be a place of discouragement, can it? I just said, hey, this, this message is titled, Can God Use Me? And you're sitting there, you already have the answer in your head. God can't use me. There is no possible way that God could use me. I'm far from the Lord. I've turned my back. I've turned away. My kids, I have, I have totally neglected them. That next generation you're talking about, I've already lost my kids. The enemy is as locusts. It's, he's, he's taken everything. He has eaten everything. Let me, let me just give you a word of encouragement. We're told by God in the book of Joel, Joel 20, verses 23 to 25, he says this, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with new wine and oil. Listen. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Do you hear the hope that we have? The, the, the encouragement from God's word. That, hey, yeah, the, the locusts have come in, they have eaten, and there seems to be nothing left. But God says, take hope, take courage. Do not be dismayed, as he continually told Joshua. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. Verse 6, again, though we read, it says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Oh, it's like a sigh, a, a breath of fresh air right there, isn't it? Uh, they're impoverished because of the Midianites, because of their sin. But what do they finally do? They cry out to the Lord. They were broken over their sin. If God is going to use us, we have to be broken over our sin. And hopefully sooner than later. How sad is it, though, that we read that they had to come this far and it took them this long to finally come to that place of crying out to the Lord. The pain that they faced, the suffering that they endured. The distance from God that they had come. We're going to read in verse 10 that they had come to this place of fearing the gods of the Midianites. They have completely forgotten about Yahweh, the Lord, the one who did bring them into the promised land. And now they don't have any fear of him. They have fear for Baal. If God will use us, we must identify and confess sin. Listen to Psalm 32, verses 1 to 5. This is David. Again, another blessed encouragement, breath of fresh air. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, though my groaning, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the God that we know and serve and love. The God that will forgive a gracious and merciful God. And the weight, the burden that is lifted as we will cry out to him. We will confess and we will turn. Number two is the answer to if God can use me, 
is we must seek God. Verse 7 goes on in Judges chapter 6, verse 7. It says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Again, when they finally come to this place, verse 7, of crying out to the Lord, it says, the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel. Again, all I can say is, don't we serve a merciful and gracious God? Did they deserve another chance? I mean, again, we're only in chapter 6 of the book of Judges, but it's already been like this, the roller coaster ride of the book of Judges. God had given them peace for for 40 years, we read at the end of chapter 5. And then we come in to chapter 6, and once again, they've done evil in the sight of the Lord. Did they deserve another chance? No, not at all. But none of us do. None of us do. And we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We also read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God has demonstrated his love toward us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we didn't deserve a chance. We didn't deserve another chance and another chance. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, demonstrated his love for us. He revealed to us how much he truly does love us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't deserve this favor, this, this grace, this unearned, undeserved favor with God, the God of the universe. And it's through his mercies that we are not consumed. Verse 8, as we go on, it says, there that they're reminded of the Lord's faithfulness in time past. I brought you out of Egypt. They're, they're reminded that he has been faithful and he has been able to deliver them from those who oppress them. And look closely at verse 9. What, what do we read there? Verse 9 says, And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. What does it say? Does it say some who oppressed you? Does it say a few who oppressed you? Okay, maybe not just a few, but most of them who oppressed you? I think Eric stressed this, this very word this last week. All. What does that word mean? All. Every single last one of them. I have been faithful and able to deliver you and give you the victory over all those who oppressed you. Verse 10 again, he says, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. They're reminded of who God is. I am the Lord. But he also reminds them, you have not obeyed my voice. The Lord makes clear their sin. It is disobedience. So we go on in verses, verse 11. I just want to say, hey, we've reached our flying altitude. Um, I do ask that you keep your seatbelts fastened. Uh, we are assured of turbulence on this flight. Um, you've been on that flight, and it's, hey, the, the captain just wants you to know we've reached altitude, um, but it's going to be a bumpy ride. So please keep your seatbelts fastened. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us this, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This isn't going to be an easy road. We're in the word of God. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, 
which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of of the Midianites, have I not sent you? Here we read in verse 11, it says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrapin tree. I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail on the angel of the Lord. I'll leave that to Pastor Eric. Um, But this is what is known as a theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ in human bodily form, um, but it's before his incarnation at Bethlehem. It will become much clearer to us if you want to disagree with me. Hey, whatever. Um, We're going to read in the scripture and it's going to become very clear who this is to us. It's not just some angel and it's clearly not God the Father. Verse 12, it says, the Lord is with you. The angel of the Lord assures Gideon of this. The Lord is with you. And he says, you mighty man of valor. Wait, did you catch that? The Lord is with you. We don't want to miss that. That's very important, and we know that to be very true. But what about the second part of that verse? You mighty man of valor. Okay, wait a second. Uh, If if you've gone to Sunday school, again, this is a little bit different story about Gideon than we get in Sunday school. It's not the, what do we say, the sweatshirt being laid laid out, the whole... uh, Veggie Tales version. Um, this is a little bit different, but we've already read something of Gideon, and here we read he's called a mighty man of valor. Mighty man. Do you think that Gideon felt like a mighty man here? Mighty. Let me just define the word. It means powerful. This word that's used here means powerful, a warrior, or a champion. Where was he? Where was Gideon whenever we first were introduced here just a couple of verses ago? He was threshing wheat in the wine press. Why? In order to hide it from the Midianites. Really, we could say that he was hiding. And yet the angel of the Lord says, you're a mighty man. How about the last portion of that verse? Gideon You are a man of valor. Wait a second. A man of valor? Again, let's just look into what the word valor means. I did look it up. I got on uh, Google, I think it was, and I searched it out. It means great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. How about some synonyms? Bravery, courage, nerve, daring, Fearlessness, audacity, boldness, listen, stout-heartedness, heroism, or how about this one, backbone. Oh, wait a minute. Do you think that Gideon felt like a man of valor? Again, what was he doing? I'm just going to give you the short version. He was hiding. He was hiding. But Gideon... You are a mighty man of valor. You know, these words are going to be great words of encouragement to Gideon, especially once he realizes with whom it is that he's speaking. How about you? Wait a second. I don't know if you just heard it, but the seatbelt sign just dinged. Fasten your seatbelts. There's some turbulence ahead. How about you? How about you? Do you feel like a mighty man or woman? Do you feel like a man or woman of valor? Again, the title, the the question of our study is, can God use me? And why most often do we think that God can't? 
that he wouldn't, that he would never consider it. Because we don't see ourselves as he does. We too often lose sight of the fact that we serve a gracious and merciful God. This last weekend, Pastor Eric was talking about God's eyesight. Do you remember it? I think it was, I think he didn't even have his glasses and that was to me the most humorous part of it. He didn't have his glasses and he's talking about eyesight. Do you remember what, what he read? He was talking about how God sees and how he looks at us. He read this verse, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He said, the, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Can God use you? Would he ever even consider it? Would he tell you the very same words that we've just heard him tell Gideon? You are a man, a woman, a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor, of great courage. Let me just share a little bit with you about myself. Um, again, I tried to get Mike to, to really just lay it out there for you in numbers. And he, he told you that I pastored a church down in Pueblo. We did. And we came here, and for 10 years, we, we had started the church in Pueblo, and we did that for 10 whole years until January. I, I made the decision about, probably finally just made the decision about July of last year to step down as senior pastor of the church. Whew, senior pastor of the church. And I said, I'm, I just want you to know that this isn't where God has me anymore. Wasn't any great sin. If it was great sin, I hope I wouldn't be standing here before you tonight. It was just simply the fact that God had something else for me, that God had a greater call on my life. And that greater call was for my family, to be a husband and a father. I am married. I've been married for 17 years, yes, to the same woman. Um, she's put up with me for that long. And we have four wonderful kids, Grace, Faith, Seth, and Caleb. They've all survived. They're still all here. By the Lord's mercies, they survived. But let me just tell you something. As I made that decision and as I said, hey, you know what? God has another call for me. It's I'm no longer going to be the pastor of this church. I'm going to step down as senior pastor. The enemy really took hold. And man, he saw a big target on my back. And he, he took every opportunity that he could to just beat me down. To say, man, you're a loser. You're a quitter. You are a failure. Why would you ever step down from being a senior pastor of God's people? Because let me tell you the other part of this story is the church no longer exists. When I made that decision, we had to search out a pastor and we, we didn't find one. And so we had to come to the decision of, are we going to just close the doors? And it's what we did. That was a very difficult decision for me to know that I was called to be a pastor the senior pastor of a church and lead God's people and teach faithfully verse by verse through the Bible, encourage and strengthen them in the Lord. And then to know that, hey, this church is no longer gonna exist if I don't fill this role. I felt like a failure. There's times that, hey, the enemy still will throw a dart at me and I'll, oh, I'll fill it. I don't, I can't say that through the entire thing I felt like a man a mighty man of valor, a great man of courage. But God is using me. God used that opportunity that he gave me to say, hey, my family's more important than ministry. Because see, ministry is not God. It's a service unto the Lord. And Eric says it often. It's not about a man, it's not about a woman, it's not about an individual at all. It's about God, and God could put somebody else in, in our place at any time. He didn't choose to do that for pastoring the church, and I thank him that he didn't put another person in my place to be the husband and father that I should be, my greatest calling in ministry. See, I don't know most of you, and most of you don't know me except what I just told you of myself but God knows us very intimately. 
so intimately in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, it says that the hairs of our head are numbered. Now, it's an easier task for God for some than others. See, God's not looking at our accomplishments. Thanks for getting that. God's not looking at our accomplishments, is he? He's not looking at our physical stature. He's not looking at the intel- our intelligence, for that matter. Again, let's look at Numbers 22, verse 28. God opened the mouth of a donkey. God's looking at our hearts. He's looking for those who have a heart after him, a heart and a life that will seek his glory and honor and not its own. Back to Judges, verse 14, it says, the Lord turned to him and said, go, have I not sent you? See, the question isn't so much, can God use us, but it's, will we let God use us? The question is not, can God use us, but the question is, will you go? Will you go? And how often do we come up with excuse after excuse? It's what Gideon does as we go on in verse 15. It says, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon tries to make an excuse, but all he does is solidify the fact that God desires to use him. He is the man that God desires to use. I don't think there's any clearer point to that than 1 Corinthians verses, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, where Paul writes this. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see, God's not looking at the outward appearance at all, is he? He's looking at the heart. Can God use you? Yes. And his desire is to use you. So when you're asked the question, can God use you, don't ever, ever, ever have it in your mind and heart that the answer is no. He can and he desires, but will you let him? Will you go? Verse 17, it says, Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talks with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I have come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from, the, from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay, it, lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. So this day is still, to to this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abizrite. So as Gideon discovers who exactly it is that he's speaking to, he begins to worship. It says that he builds an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom. Again, what a God we serve, the God of peace, the Lord of peace. Verse 25 goes on and says, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. 
And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Point number four in answering the question, can God use me is we must start God's work in our own homes. Verse 25, he getting here is given the instruction to tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. There was sin in Gideon's house. His father was the one that had the altar of Baal and an idol built beside it. And the rest of the city came to his, father, his father's house to worship Baal. And now God gives Gideon, this man, this mighty man of valor, instruction to go tear it down. See, before God can use Gideon to a greater degree to save the children of Israel, Gideon has to address the sin in his own house. This is true for us as well. Our most important ministry and calling is that of our own house. Do we have our house in order? God can and will use you. His desire is to use you. Will you go? And will the first stop you make be your own house? If we desire to be effective for the Lord, our homes must be in the proper order. Paul writes this to Timothy. He's writing to, about the overseers of the church in Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He says, They should be one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? We must put our houses in order. Verse 27 again said, Gideon took ten men and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Oh, man, Gideon. What do you think about this? At, at first look, it looks a little sketchy, doesn't it? This mighty man of valor. Come on, Gideon. God told you that he was with you and you're doing this by night? But then, too, if, you, if we look a little more at it, what would probably happen if he did this during the day? The men of the city would rise up, right? They would put a stop to it, no doubt. They would probably kill him. I think there is some wisdom in what he did here in, in doing this by night. At, okay, we, we do read that he feared his father's household and the men of the city, but what if the fear was not so much for his life, but simply that they would try and put a stop to it? He'd received the instruction, not them. They don't know what the Lord had said. And would, would they ever believe him? There's great wisdom in not going forward recklessly with the Lord's instructions. Too often we can hear from the Lord and we just take off running, isn't it? It's like, oh, there's the door. See you later. I heard from the Lord. Sometimes it's ready aim or ready shoot aim, right? It's we don't even take aim. We just shoot and hope nobody gets hurt in the process. God has given Gideon instruction on what he would have him to do, but God left the when and the how to Gideon. And that's how God often works. I actually commend Gideon here that he didn't hesitate in the Lord's instructions. And what do I mean by he didn't hesitate? See, we read that it was the same night that he received the instructions from the Lord. And I think that he knew it was best to act right now in the night time than put it off until tomorrow. I think he said, I can't wait until morning or they might try and stop me. So right now, I am going to tear down this altar, this idol. So verse 28 says, And when the men of the city rose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. 
And the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down the wooden, wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he has torn, torn down his altar. And the men of the city are furious. Their God has just been wiped out. Their God is burning in a, in a pile of ashes. There's a sacrifice being burned by their God, their wooden image. I think Gideon is very lucky he didn't wait until morning because he probably would have killed him in the process. But how about Joash's response toward these men who are ready to kill Gideon? Look again at verse 31. Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead for himself. He challenges them that if Baal really is a god, then let him defend himself. In effect, he's saying, what kind of god can fight for himself? If Baal cannot defend himself, how could he ever have defended them? I find it very interesting here that Gideon's father seems to be stirred by his son's faithfulness to the Lord. It was Gideon's father, remember, that had this altar in his house and the idol for the entire city to come to his house and worship. Now Gideon has taken a stand for righteousness and godliness and his father's eyes too are opened. I would say to you, be encouraged that you never know how God will use your faithfulness to minister to, into someone else's life. I also will just say as a reminder, the question isn't, can God use me? But will you let him? Will you go? Point number five as we wrap up. We must step out in faith. If God will ever use us, we must step out in faith. Verse 33 says, Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. How about that? Remember where we found Gideon. He was threshing wheat. And so it was time. It was time. It was that time of year where the Midianites and the Amalekites were going to come in, and like a bunch of locusts, they were just going to devour the land. They were going to wipe off everything of the Israelites that they worked all year for, that they had gathered for. This is the time that they were going to invade. This is the time that God was to raise up Gideon. And it says again that he blew the trumpet and notice what happens. Because of one man's faithfulness and obedience, many joined the work. They probably were all like Gideon, weren't they? in hiding, threshing wheat in the wine press so they wouldn't be found out. So that, man, maybe we could just have a few scraps of the produce. We're told in chapter 7 that it's not a, just a small amount that comes after him. It's 32,000 uh, people who come after Gideon and join his army because he was willing to take a stand, to, to tear down the idols, to, to wipe out this altar of Baal, to begin to take a stand for godliness and righteousness. So verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so. 
When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. Verse 40, and God said, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. You know, this is probably the most familiar portion of Gideon's story, the laying out of the fleece. I actually didn't even want to go here. <laughs> I really didn't. Because, <laughs> man, doesn't it just seem like, man, you were doing so good. Like the momentum was starting and God was raising up the army. You blew the trumpet and it's time to march forward and you're like, it breaks. God, just wait a second. You, you said that you called me, but man, I, I got this fleece. I just want to put it out there, you know. Just, God, just reveal to me one more time that you truly have called me to do this. And he does. And then, okay, God, okay, oh, oh, okay. That, that was maybe just by accident. There was one little rain cloud and it hit the fleece. I need to know this time. It needs to be wet all the way around and the fleece needs to be dry. And God did it again. Was this right or was it wrong for him to make this request? Yes. <laughs> we see here Gideon's struggle still with what God has called him to, don't we? Man, it's a great task. It's a great task. And I think maybe rightly so we see this struggle. He was going to face an enemy that for seven years had brought chaos and wrath upon the children of Israel. But two, he had already asked for a sign back in verses 17 to 21. God, reveal yourself to me. And he came and he worshiped. And God revealed himself and God fulfilled it. I think what can be said of Gideon here is that he has a weak faith. But I have to say that a weak faith is greater than no faith. God was, again, very gracious and merciful here with Gideon, wasn't he? Gideon didn't deserve to ask of the Lord two more times for a sign. So should we put a fleece before the Lord? I would just encourage you to read Luke chapter 1, verse 18. It's the story of John the Baptist's father, remember Zechariah, and he says, oh, how do I know that this will be true, that, hey, I'm an old man, and there is no way that we're going to have a little one. The angel of the Lord says, close your mouth. You won't speak again until your son is born. I don't think that we're to lay fleeces out before the Lord. But I also personally don't believe that Gideon was right in this. God had made himself known to Gideon and he made his direction clear. But thank God that he is very patient with us, right? And that he allows us to make mistake after mistake. And again, the question isn't can God use us, but will we let him? Will we go? Man, did you feel that? Have you, ever, have you ever been on a flight and it's just, and it's over? Man, I, I hope I was a good pilot tonight because we just landed and you didn't even know it. <laughs> have you ever been on those flights where it's, uh, you're like, man, this must be his first flight because that was rough. <laughs> I hope it wasn't that way for you. Um, tonight again, we look at, at a man that, He's very popular, right, in, in Scripture, Gideon. He, he's in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. We read something of here of him tonight that it's, should he be there? Man, he put a fleece before the Lord, not once, but twice after the Lord revealed it to him. A clear plan, a clear direction, clear desire. Gideon, I want to use you. I want to deliver my people, and I want you to be the one. We read of this mighty man of valor who is found threshing wheat in a wine press. He's hiding from the enemy. 
I believe that you and I live in a very familiar time, a similar time to Gideon, where it's like this. And many are doing what's right in their own eyes. And you and I have to choose. We have to make a stand. We have to know the answer to the question, can God use us? What's the answer? Yes. So what question should we ask ourselves? Will we let him? Will we go? Will we go? God has a call on your life. He has a plan. He has it laid out. Are you seeking? Are you asking? Know these things. If he's going to use you, you must confess, identify and confess sin. You must seek him for the direction. You must be willing to be used. We must start God's work in our own house. We must step out in faith. If I could go into chapter 7, I would say you need to be flexible. Read chapter 7. You need to be flexible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace, a God of mercy. The Lord, we don't deserve to be used of you. Yet you desire still to use us. Lord, may we know that the answer is yes, you can use us. Lord, I pray that we are willing vessels. Lord, when we feel disqualified, again, may you assure us through your word, Lord, that you choose to use the base things of this world, the things that are not. Lord, that you might receive the glory. Lord, thank you that you don't look at us as man does, but Lord, you look at our hearts. Lord, I pray that we have hearts that are longing for you, desiring to serve you wholeheartedly. Lord, will there be fear? Yes. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, tonight we want to thank you for Jesus. Lord, as we come to the communion table, we thank you that we can with all boldness, all outspokenness, come before the throne of grace. Lord, it's nothing we've done in and of ourselves. It's all about Jesus. His blood shed on our behalf that we could be reconciled to you. We could be made right. Lord, we could have a relationship with you. Any hope, any, any chance at all to be used by you Lord, comes through the shed blood of Jesus, and we thank you tonight.